Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mount Hammer Podcast, episode 120. Uh, I don't know why that sounded quite so formal. I am Mel from that there Metal Hammer. I'm joined today by Eleanor Goodman, Deputy Editor of Metal Hammer. How are you doing, El? I'm good, thanks, Mel. How are you doing? I am doing well. Uh, we're also joined today by the one and only Mr. Stephen Hill, also of Metal Hammer and Riot Act and other things. Loads of things. Loads of things. That you, too many to mention. Actually, that is... Yeah, that is, that is all. Actually. <laughs> Cat dad. Cat dad, yeah. I'm from... <laughs> I'm from Cat dad. That famous sitcom. You are a cat dad. I am a cat dad, yeah. You are a cat dad. Don't want to talk about the cat, do we, really? Come no. On. Let's, fuck this. Let's not get sidetracked. There's loads to do. Come on, guys. Um, yeah, it is absolutely roasting hot. We've got loads to get through today. Very excited about this week's uh, Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame. It's going to be a big one, possibly my favourite we've done so far, so I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that. Um, what's been going on this week? Al, you watched, me and you watched a little bit of the Cavell attack stream, didn't we? And then we, you went and watched the Papa Roach infest stream. How was that? Yeah, the Papa Roach infest stream was cool. They did a thing about a month ago where they wanted to talk about 20 years of infest and they showed clips from old shows old videos that kind of thing and they talked about them and they had some guest stars on coming in and saying how much they loved infest and what papa roach meant to them that was really interesting because there are a lot of interesting stories and stuff that they told but it was like a three-hour thing and it was a little bit unfocused so the nice thing about this you're going to say something then mel i saw no, you sorry go on no i'm not going to <laughs> go. the nice thing about this was that it was a playthrough of infest but Jacoby would pause before each song and tell the story in the background of each song, which one was a really nice thing because it was a lot more focused than the first stream they did. And two was a really nice thing because if they had been able to do the album live at a normal gig, they probably wouldn't have been able to do that because you can't really just stop after every song and tell a little story. It's not how it works, mm. but it really worked within the context of them being in a studio setting and obviously not having an audience in front of them and the studio was cool as well you know it was a little space and they'd got a mate to paint up some mannequins which they sort of had dotted about which is kind of random but kind of cool and they're really you know Jacob is really charismatic and really positive and it's cool to hear him talk about the songs and it was great to hear the record in its entirety as well there's so much nostalgia going around at the moment you know and it's been 20 years since Invest and um, it was a really good, tight, interesting event. I think it'd be good if they actually were able to tour it at some point and play it. But this Infest. was, this, yeah. But this was cool. It was a cool show. Well, they did. Um, they did infest and fill at the Roundhouse, didn't they? Five years ago for the fifteenth, which was a good old time. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just completely erased it. Yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah, I don't think they did it for a lot of shows. I think they. It might have even been just that show, to be honest. But um, that was a, a hell of a night. I think people your memory is much better than mine. I need them to do it again. <laughs> All I have to do at the moment is <laughs> sit and think about last the time. One of the last times I was on here, you were talking about that exact show and them doing it. So. Your memory is very bad, Eleanor. You know it's bad. <laughs> I, you know my memory is bad. I have absolutely no interest in that band or that album at all. And even I knew that they played it five years ago in the roundup. From you <laughs> mentioning it about three weeks ago. So, um, yeah. I'm pretty sure I've got footage and pictures on my phone from it happening five years ago. Well, as well, put them but... in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I need my phone, because I can't keep anything in there. Unless there it's about a week is my, uh, my memory span. <laughs> um, I feel like people, uh, bands are starting to get uh, their heads around 
how to do like live streaming right do you know what i mean because the first few weeks of lockdown it was like i mean me and steve were joking about it because we did one as well you couldn't go on instagram live without seeing about sorry you can go on instagram i should say without seeing about 80 instagram live things between various people happening at any one time and it all got a bit like okay we don't all have to put everything out there at once guys uh, and I feel people are starting to get a better idea of what's kind of working, what's not working. Some of the gigs are getting a bit more curated and better. Um, Gavelatak did a did another stream, I think their second big live stream as well on uh, Friday or Saturday. We watched a little bit of that. Slightly different vibe. They were dressed like a kind of house band and playing a bit more like kind of a tongue-in-cheek set, which I wasn't quite as keen on as the other one. But it's cool that they're still, um, you know, doing what they can to promote that brilliant album split from earlier in the year. Um, I'm going to do a segue from something else at about five minutes ago now, but uh, we mentioned that it was everyone's feeling a little bit nostalgic, maybe about the year 2000. Uh, and it just so happens that us here at Metalhammer have a brand new issue out tomorrow that is going to be doing exactly that. Uh, the new issue of Metalhammer, I don't know if we've ever had as much fun putting an issue together as this because this is basically our lives as music fans um, back in the day into a magazine. Uh, so we've got a huge special edition issue all about the year 2000. We've got massive features on the likes of Hybrid Theory, Infest, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured War. I wrote that one. It's really good. Um, Black Seeds of Vengeance by Nile. It's not all about the new metal. Uh, and most importantly, we've got a huge world exclusive cover feature with the one and only Deftones, a brand new interview giving us the full uncensored story behind White Pony, um, which Miss Ellen Goodman wrote. It's a fantastic piece. And as I say, brand new interviews, brand new insights, some amazing anecdotes relevant to both your interests. That in it, a bit of Deftones, a bit of White Pony. Massively, yeah. It's a what, great what, record. Just a brilliant, brilliant record. Um, I saw that it went up on the sort of Hammer socials recently and I've just been having a chat with somebody on your Facebook page in a nice way saying that I think that actually, because they were like, well, it was a bit commercial, wasn't it, White Pony? I actually think it's less commercial then certainly around the fur. You think around the fur's got be quiet and drive and shove it. And, you yeah. know, by 2000, like you've just rightly pointed out, new metal was massive. So taking all of that away and sort of taking influence from stuff like DJ Shadow and Pink Floyd and Spiritualize and Flaming Lips and bands who like kind of pre-fame Flaming Lips and all those bands and trying to make something which was much more difficult and not as instantaneous and not as banging as last resort and you know those those big sort of you know my way or whatever like there's nothing really like that even when you think the big single on white pony changing the house of flies is not a kind of traditional big heavy metal banger at all is it so i think it's a it not, not only is it an amazing album it's a tremendous risk that that um that death tones pulled off at that time personally I asked Chino what bands had been feeding into it and what influences they were. And he was just like, oh, I can't really remember any. And from his point of view, it was more like um, they came from this place where they were doing stuff that was classed as new metal and they wanted to broaden their remit. And they just went to this, you know, they just went to the studio, started messing around with things. And there's an awful lot of people that contributed to that record as well, apart from the band members themselves, they had Frank in on um, turntables for the first time. He became a member of the band. They had uh, Terry Date coming back and they had a lot of guest people come and sing on it as well. And like, I think if you read the piece, you'll sort of 
see the way they were talking about it. It's almost like there's so many different people that contributed to it that it just becomes this kind of mixture of all these like diverse influences. Mm. Um, you know, whether it was people who were singing on it at the time and the place, like what else was happening in the music scene. It's such a unique record of the fact that it's just got so many things going on all the time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think you both kind of hit on something really, which is, um, it, it did quite surprise me as well when I saw a couple of people go, oh, it's when they went mainstream. It's like, well, it's when they got absolutely massive, but that's not the same thing as no. suddenly selling out and getting more commercial and stuff. Because, you know, you listen to the big songs that define that era, you're talking about, yeah, Last Resort, Rolling, Paper Cut, all those new metal one hit wonders. Um, and the closest thing Deftones had to that that was even associated with the White Pony era was Back to School. And there was some friction about even including that in, in the kind of album cycle and everything else. So they were absolutely not jumping on a bandwagon. They were not uh, diluting their sound. They were turning into an even more complex and layered and multifaceted beast. And uh, as I say, El's interview with Chino and the rest of the guys is great. Um, go pick that new issue up. It's got a lovely foil cover that uh, our editor Louise did a wicked job. Um, uh, bringing to life that looks great uh, and yeah and there's loads of other stuff in there as well basically if you just want to kick back and have the mother of all nostalgia trips this month highly recommend our new issue um, I spoke to Wes Borland for that aforementioned, aforementioned uh, chocolate starfish feature as well and um, we had a really good chat about stuff uh, and there's loads of good stuff in there and of course there's loads of new bands in there there's loads of interviews about stuff going on right now as well um, it's out if this is out on Thursday it's out right now so if you're near a shop I can't remember what shops are open right now, but if you're near one that sells magazines, go pick up the new issue of Metal Hammer uh, or get it delivered directly to your door from tinyurl.com slash buy hammer. It is a bloody good read, if I say so myself. How bloody good, by the way, was, um, was the year 2000 for music? I was like, just crazy. Honestly, there, there, was, there were albums, we've got a kind of a roundup feature in there as well, where we just go, oh yeah, and as well as all these big features we've done, there was all this other stuff, and there was so much stuff we couldn't even fit in. Well, um, like, it's amazing that White Pony's on the front cover, and like I think both you and I, Merle, our favourite albums of all time, both came out that year as well. Relationship with Command by The Drive is mine, and Hollywood by Marilyn Manson is yours. Um, but also, Queens of Stone Age rated R, Little interesting fact, the only, it's got to be, I mean, I don't I say it's an interesting fact, it's got to be the only little, album. Little interesting unverified fact. <laughs> well, if anyone else can find another album that was the Critics Album of the Year in Metal Hammer, The Enemy, and Kerrang, I would be fucking stunned to know yeah. what that record is. It's also in the top 10 in Terrorizers uh, albums wow. of the year from that period. So like, I mean, that was a massive album and yeah i mean you didn't you know there's there's so many great records that came out that time. it was unbelievable and it, and it was such a fascinating time because i mean it, you know if you go back and look at what mel hammer was like back then it was much more some might say two i'm not saying two but it was uh, so much more open in terms of what was kind of welcomed into the magazine um, I, th I mean, I can't remember if I've said on this podcast specifically, but I got into AFI through Metal Hammer, you know, because Days of the Phoenix was on a free uh, VHS that came with the magazine. Um, and Art of Drowning came out that year, and that was a massive part of that scene. You know, At the Drive-In were a massive part of that scene. Amen were a massive part of that early 2000s scene. Uh, and yeah, it was just an amazing, amazing time in music. And uh, I promise you, you'll be wanting to jam all those uh, slightly tenuous new metal <laughs> mixes on Spotify uh, once you've uh, gone and picked up the new issue. So go pick it up. It's out right now. Uh, and yeah, we appreciate your support as always. 
a few Tory schedules happening at the moment. I think that's going to be an ongoing thing, which is good. So bands um, getting on with it in terms of uh, announcing new dates for next year. Uh, the massive Evanescence and Within Temptation co-headliner across Europe. That's been rescheduled to autumn next year. The big Motley Crue, Def Leppard and Poison US tour. That's all been rescheduled to next year as well. Uh, there's other dates that are getting rescheduled with other tours all over the place. So just kind of stay tuned to metalhammer.com and uh, we'll make sure we keep you updated with all the big tours and when they're going on and uh, being rescheduled and all of that. How good will it be to have live music again? Well, um, it's Motley Crue, but yes, broadly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look. If you look, you can go watch Evanescence instead. I know you're a massive fan, so that's one for you, Steve. They already hey, retired. Motley Crue retired. If it was Motley Crue or Evanescence, and I'm going to Evanescence ten times out of ten, mate, I tell you for sure. Yeah. I'd yeah, I'd probably I'd probably back that in 2021. Um, and no, they're not retired, Al, because they're touring again. They tore up the definitely legally binding contract. So so stupid. It's fine. Not like um, to break the law, is it? <laughs> 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 Awkward. <laughs> That's the worst thing that band have ever done. Um, right, let's do this week's album of the week. We are talking about the excellent Ohms. Uh, this is a really cool, young, UK-based, kind of doom, stonery metal band. Um, I saw them at Bloodstock. Was one of you, were any of you guys with me when I saw yeah. them at Bloodstock? I yeah, might yeah, come yeah, to see them with you specifically, Steve, yeah. to be honest, yeah. at Bloodstock a couple of years back. Hmm. Um, yeah, they had a pretty decent crowds, lots of excitement in this band. Uh, and their new album, End, is out Friday via the always excellent Holy Raw. Um, Steve, I feel like you kind of actually flagged this album as being particularly good a few weeks back. So do you want to talk about... Can I just say it's not called that? End, it's called either Close or Close. I'm not oh, sure close, which it sorry. is. Yeah. Is it Close or is it Close? I wasn't sure. It's, well, yeah, I, I thought it was called Close, but it might be Close. It's it's close, I think it's probably yeah. close. Yeah, but it's definitely that, close. That's um, a different album that's coming out this week. Yeah, Close is the uh, Ohms album that is out on Friday. Um, yeah, what are we thinking of this record? I think it's excellent. I think it's really, really excellent. Um, so the singer, Paul, used to be in a band called The Babies Three from Kent, who were a sort of hardcore band back in the early 2000s, speaking of that, that sort of era. And... I really like them. So I found out he had this new band. I was like, oh God, great. Like, and it's completely different to that sort of early turn of the millennium hardcore that he was doing before. It's got, like you say, quite the, the stuff they were doing previously, much more doomy kind of Sabbath inspired. Paul's as a live presence has got a real touch of the Ozzy Osbournes about him. I think he kind of claps and you know, Ozzy kind of claps and shakes his hair and just sort of shakes his body around. Paul does that. Um, quite a lot live and he's just a really kind of cool focal point for the band and I thought yeah this is a good band this is a pretty good band at doing that thing which is not a thing that I'm massively hugely invested in I do like a lot of sort of stonery doomy stuff but it's not really my favorite thing but this record is really brilliant and it brings so much more um, outside influences to the table than the usual kind of um, sort of stonery doom bands. There's obviously lots of kind of Melvins and Neurosis, but I also think there's a bit of post-punk in it. You can hear a bit of kind of Steve Albini, Big Black, um, Shellac kind of stuff as well. That sort of, um, that mid eighties sort of American post-punk thing that was happening. Um, 
I think there's some like ethereal stuff that wouldn't sound out of place on post-rock bands like Caspian or Explosions in the Sky or Godspeed You Black Emperor. And there's some super fucking heavy riffs and some proper mm. like chant along, almost sort of uh, sea shanty style chant along bit. I literally have the words sea shanty written under the track Asylum, which is exactly what I thought. That kind of like da 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 kind of thing. Yeah. But that was really yeah, it's like, yeah, it's amazing. It, it, it's almost like it gives off, it's kind of like a much more, it's like a kind of oi punk band mixed with Zelenada. Mm. like it's I think it's really cool and um, I thought they were good I think this album's really really good yeah it's a huge it's a huge huge step up um, love the mixture of all these huge kind of stonery doomy riffs uh, there's big shades I mean yeah you, you mentioned a lot of great references there and like you know Melvin's shades of Mastodon on some of the bigger moments um, it's got some of that kind of warm baronessy glow under a few of the tracks as well that I really enjoyed um like yeah like loads of like spatters of hardcore and all this kind of stuff um lyrically it's quite interesting because i haven't really had a chance to probably dig into it yet but i know that um they seem to just completely change tact with each album for what they're writing about they've written about the occult in the past i think the last thing they did was a kind of concept piece about uh, animal rights and animal testing and all that kind of stuff and now they're writing about domestic abuse so it's a much more introspective and and personal thing um so it's interesting that, that they're just, it's in, I'll be interested to know how they kind of focus themselves to decide what they want to write about at any given time. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a great record. It's really catchy. Um, it's paced in a really interesting way. Some of the tracks are super short and then there's a couple like really, really long ones in there as well. Um, yeah, it's just a really cool, unique, almost slightly quirky in a weird kind of way. Um, do metal albums, kind of do this, I guess, stoner doom album. Uh, but there's so much more to it than that. And uh, yeah, I agree that they've always seemed like a really decent, solid band, but this actually feels like unique and interesting and, and something fresh that I think sets them apart from a lot of what's going on in that scene at the moment. Yeah, I think that scene needs that as well, because like, I don't know, I, I, there's a lot of really great bands that have come out of that scene. I mean, obviously Sleep are great and there's some Electric Wizard stuff, which I fucking love. And, you know, there's a, but there's a lot of bands who have just sort of followed that format. I mean, Kaya, I was going to say Caius worship, but obviously that's a slightly different thing. But I do feel like there are a lot of bands from that Desert Fest scene who are happy to just go, we just write big sort of Black Sabbath riffs and that's it. And that's cool, like if you like that sort of thing. But I do think you don't want a genre to completely stagnate. And um, there's been a few bands that have come out recently. I mean, I point to Elephant Tree as well, who are sort of a bit more of a stoner than a Doom thing, um, who released an album earlier this year on Holy Raw, who are fucking brilliant. And it's just taken something which I thought had reached its sort of end game, its end mm. three, and imbued it with some slightly different, more interesting influences. And the result is, for me, far better and far more interesting records that have come, that have come out of that scene for a few years. Yeah, definitely. What did you think of this record, Elle? You guys have kind of covered it, really. Um, I was just pleasantly surprised, I think, because I just thought I knew exactly what it was going to sound like. And then there was a lot more in it than I thought. And I think because we've been looking at a lot of the 2000s album as well, like obviously you mentioned Neurosis, Steve, and 
with the 2000s I was sort of like listening to Cave-In and Isis and that kind of thing so it was really like um there was lots of stuff in there that was kind of calling back to that which was cool um and just some of the little like buried effects as well one song was like the sound at the beginning of like children playing or something but then it's you sort of like oh it's kind of nice and you're like oh maybe it's not maybe it's kind of creepy there's like there's just a lot in there I think yeah definitely it's 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 really varied and really layered and uh I think um whether you're kind of like a died in the wall stoner head or a long time do metal fan or if you're someone that doesn't really feel like they like this kind of stuff I think there's a lot in here that will appeal to a wide range of 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 people and I'm really excited to see um how this could maybe take them forward and expose them to new people that maybe they wouldn't have reached before um you know I'm fascinated to see the kind of bands they could maybe put with because I feel like there's a really wide array of bands they could go on tour with off the back of an album like this Mm. Uh, so yeah yet another exciting young um uk band that richly deserves your attention any any final thoughts at all or have we kind of no smashed I, it? I just think actually like it, it's a it's a really good lesson for why well, any bands really that i think the wider you cast your pool of influences the more in the, the more likely you are to make interesting music off the back of it i mean we've just spoken about white pony and mentioned all that stuff we've mentioned this now i mean even when you go right back to black sabbath you know they were influenced by horror films and the blues and classical music and all of these really kind of wide ranging, very different things. And that is the sort of creation of metal. And I, I do think if in 2020, if metal has a sort of Achilles heel, it is to look at Slayer and go, let's do Slayer or to look at, you know, Sabbath and go, let's do Sabbath or to look at Corn and go, let's do Corn. Um, and, it's good now that there are a, there's a big old handful of bands who I think are taken from very, very obscure musical reference points. And that just makes their music sound more interesting than like, oh, this is what metal is now. We'll settle for that. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, that is Close by Owns out this Friday via Holy Raw. Go listen to it. Go support the band. They're a great band on a great label. Really excited about them. Um, I forgot to mention last week as well when we reviewed uh, the Lamb of God album, uh, but last week the new Vile Creature album came out and that's a great record as well. Um, mm. If you like kind of, uh, I'm almost like blackened doom metal or something and kind of droney, experimental, really unsettling stuff. They're a really, really interesting band as well that we did, um, we, we did them as the lead review in the new issue of Hammer. Uh, so if you didn't check that album out at the time, go check out the new Vile uh, Creature uh, album as well. Uh, yeah, they loads of good shit. Themselves, um, I'll just say, you know, they describe themselves as a mix of abrasive sludge and funeral doom. Well, there you go then. That, and that's them saying that. So <laughs> I've ordered some gummy worms from them. They did a thing via Bandcamp because they on the. You just got on a weird tangent. Then I was like, "You're right." <laughs> Their album cover's got um, worms coming out of the mouth on it. Yeah, yeah. Glory, and glory, they- apathy took helm. It's called, by the way yeah and so they were selling gummy worms so you can like recreate the album cover in your own home and have a lovely surprise they're vegan as well nice yeah don't do it with real worms then that won't get the message across exactly um, yeah yeah so many great young bands going on, uh putting out stuff at the moment it's been a really really strong year for metal so far which is always nice to see uh right oh, i'm excited about this because i just feel like it's just i'm just gonna get to 
gas on about a band I love for the next few minutes. This is uh, your dream. It's the dream. And, it, and it's, I think it's a really interesting one, um, which we'll get into. I think it's interesting as a topic for this. I think it's an interesting band to do this with. Uh, so we'll get into it. We are going to do the next edition of the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame. This is when we pick one album by a legendary band to induct into our own Hall of Fame. Uh, it's not a real building. It's just a bit of fun, but we still take it very seriously, obviously. Uh, so far, we have the likes of Antichrist Superstar by Marilyn Manson in there. We have the debut album by Slipknot in there. We have... Um, which corn album did we put in? <laughs> Follow the Leader. Follow the Leader. Follow the Leader's in there. <laughs> Good. Taking it seriously, obviously. Uh, and uh, we have Seven Sun by, uh, Seven Sun by Iron Maiden in there as well. Um, and today, we are doing one of the greatest bands ever a band that I feel like I spend half my life banging on about how much I love them. I'm talking about Killswitch Engage. Um, I don't think anyone's surprised by uh, the two albums that are up for induction here. Um, if you haven't heard one of these podcasts before, by the way, we put their entire discography over on the Metal Hammer Readers Facebook page. Um, you guys vote for your favorites, and then we pick the top two from that vote, and then we debate them here on the podcast. Uh, and absolutely no surprise at all to see that the two most popular albums are Alive or Just Breathing and, and the, the End of Heartache. You what? <laughs> and the self-titled. <laughs> <laughs> and the second self-title. No, it's, it's 2002's Breakthrough Album, Alive or Just Breathing, and it's huge uh, follow-up 2004's The End of Heartache. Um, before we get into it, so, you know, some fairly interesting things in the voting. Um, even though these two albums were by far and away the two most popular, um, the third most popular by some distance, more than twice as many votes as any other anything else under it, was Disarm the Descent, which I was actually quite surprised by because as much as I think that's a great album, I think that shows you how much people really love the kind of second Jesse era. Um, and I wonder if maybe that might be an album that actually brought more people to Killswitch Engage that maybe had missed in the first time around or something like that. So that was quite cool to see. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I was just looking beforehand and apparently... Incarnate, which obviously came off the back of Disarm the Descent, was their highest charting record, apparently. It was the first time they ever got into the UK top 10. Um, it's, yeah, it's their highest um, placing album in the US as well. Mm-hmm. So that tends to happen when a band have sort of, when the band come off of the back of a, 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 a sort of big hit, whether it be a big rebirth in this case or their sort of first go at something and, and, and getting popular. And I think there's definitely, a lot of people who probably, probably myself included, who sort of wrote Killswitch Engage off after Howard, well, after that self-titled one, probably not wrote them off completely, but certainly when Howard left, didn't look great. And Disarm the Descent is a fucking mad comeback record. Yeah, it's so, it's so, so good. good. Richly deserves its uh, place as kind of very high up in any, in any Killswitch list. Um, and yes, it's interesting because I joined Metal Hammer in 2011 and I think it was, was it the, I think it was the very start of 2012, maybe when Jesse came back and Killswitch were one of, were a, such a seminal band for me and my journey into metal because, um, I, I mean, I got into bands like In Flames in the same year and that helped, but they were really were one of the bands that kind of drew me a little bit more towards like heavier stuff. Um, I, you know, I wasn't into hardcore music. I wasn't into anything called metalcore really at that time and Alive or Just Breathing really turned me on to a whole different side of the of the metal world and um, it, you know it's literally one of my all-time favorite albums as is the follow-up um, and uh, so when Jesse left 
Uh, they'd never even played the UK with him at that point, I don't think. Uh, and I had tickets for the, for the Roadrunner Road Rage gig that they did with um, 36 Crazy Fists and the much-loved and missed 5.0. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that single was good. That single was good. Um, and yeah, so, that's, so Howard joined that midway through the Alava Just Breathing cycle, which I think a lot of people forget. So Howard was actually on stage singing those Jesse songs. And then obviously what they did next made them even bigger. They needed a big, strong album to come back from, from losing Jesse. And they put out the Alava Just, uh, they put out The End of Heartache, which is, I think, well, I'm not going to say it's our most beloved record because we're about to debate that, but it is such a beloved album. Um, and then they had a great few years off the back of that. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously, uh, they did the second self-titled album in 2009 with Howard. And I think by then, you could just kind of tell that the wheels were starting to come off Killswitch a little bit. The live gigs weren't as good. Um, uh, that album was just not at it at all. The opening track's quite good. The rest of it is just not great. Uh, and it felt like something had to change. Something did change. Jesse came back to the band in 2012 and put on some stellar return gigs, uh, noticeably out in the sunshine at Download that year, which is such a great gig. Um, and then they did uh, Disarm the Descent. And it's kind of been like, not ex- well, yeah, it's been plain sailing for them ever since. Like they put on great show after great show. They've done some more great stuff on record since then. Uh, and they're actually celebrating their 20th anniversary this week. Um, if you look at their social media and their website. So what better time to debate which is their best album? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, all in all, it's been a great 10 years for Killswitch. Uh, and now we're going to get into this, I think. So Alive will just breathe in. Um, not the day, but actually, before we do this, there's going to be a lot of like little uh, off spins to this because I love this band so much. I just want to give a quick shout out to the debut as well. Self-titled album, Killswitch Engage, out in 2000. I think gets criminally overlooked. If a band, if a brand new metalcore band or one of those kind of like cult metalcore bands like Unearth or Darkest Hour or one of those guys put out that debut Killswitch Engage album now, people will be calling it the best thing in metalcore for a fucking 10 years and all the rest of it. It is an unbelievable album. If you've never checked out that record before and you're only familiar with Killswitch from a lot of just breathing onwards, fuck's sake, go listen to that first Killswitch album because it is so, 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 so good. Um, it is good I think you're slightly overselling it to be honest mate but I think it is really good I think it's a mate I don't think I am I don't think it's my third favourite Killswitch album so that's how much I like it wow Um, In the Unblind with that like kind of made in the gallop on it is oh just if they did a song like that now people would be pissing their little pants Uh, (laughs) but yeah anyway We'll get into it properly now. So Alive or Just Breathing, uh, their breakthrough album, first album for Roadrunner. They were kind of one of the last big uh, Roadrunner breakthroughs of that era. Um, released May 2002. Uh, obviously, lead single was uh, Last Serenade, which really kind of, um, again, I feel like was one of the last kind of big music videos that was getting a lot of airplay in that particular era. Um, where do we start with this record other than the fact it's one of the best albums ever made well probably <laughs> um how it sort of changed oh, yeah, giving nothing away there man. yeah like setting up my stall early on yeah um how it kind of changed i uh, i think it was sort of well it, they did actually part of the um the sort of promo for that record was the casket that they put new metal in i don't know if you remember that they had a that? that's interesting yeah, the the Roadrunner and Killswitch. Really, 
and on the release of the record, they also they they did a sort of promo thing where they put like a wallet chain and a red cap and a gas mask and a seven string guitar into this casket and said that this is the album that's going to bury new metal. So they sort of set their stall out pretty early and the sort of the Roadrunner obviously hedged their bets on this being like a, a big album that was going to sort of change the direction metal was going in. And around that time, um, what was it? 2002? 2002, yeah. 2002. Yeah, I mean, by that point, new metal was in a right old pickle wasn't it? Let's be honest. It was rubbish. Yeah, it's interesting actually to hear your perspective because you're a few years older than us and I was like fully into new metal in 2002. And when Killswitch Engage came along, I didn't think this is a band that isn't new metal and is going to change metal because I wasn't analysing things like that. And because I was a teenager, I just thought this is more metal that I love. So it's really interesting to hear what your perspective is and that's probably true for a lot of people who were around at the time and who were already metal fans, but I'd only been listening to metal but for like two years or a year and a half maybe even at that point so for me I was just like oh yeah this is something else cool I can get excited about it didn't even occur to me that it was like some kind of seismic shift or bearing of like a former scene or anything yeah I mean sorry go on mate well I was gonna say I guess if you're kind of in the trenches like Elle and I were at that point and like little new metal warriors we probably wouldn't be thinking like that but I do I can say that my you know, I probably spent about a year or so properly wrapped up in the new metal worlds where like hybrid theory and chocolate starfish and infest were like my world. But then actually the rate at which the metal scene started to evolve after that, that, that happened quite quickly. And within a couple of years, you know, the, the results may vary album Biscuit put out was rubbish for the most part. Yeah, um, cool. Love Hate Tragedy has some good songs on it, but it's just nothing on infest. Uh, I don't even know what to start did next, to be honest. Uh, like all those bands like <laughs> Taproot and Spine Shank and the Union Underground that had Dima, like they that all just forever. died out, didn't Disturbed they? Disturbed believe that was a good uh, record. Oh yeah, okay. I mean, Disturbed have lasted better than most of them, haven't they? Really, but um, you know, Linkin Park did well with Meteora, but they'd kind of outgrown the new metal scene by then already. So it was kind of dying on its ass very, very quickly because I think people often forget that Chocolate Starfish, Infest, all those albums, that was the end of new metals rain not the start that was like the peak of the mountain and then it all went downhill after i think that. there's an argument you made if you just discovered it there at the end of it that it was still exciting for you so even maybe on a commercial level things weren't selling well or if bands were putting out some shit albums there was still a lot of new metal noise around there was still Definitely. a lot of like one hit wonders there was still a lot of bands coming out with that kind of music and if you just got into that all of it was exciting to you but, but I just got like, into at it. That point, at that point, I mean, you said like Taproot and I don't know who else you said, and you were mentioning the big band. Edema. But yeah, no, <laughs> it was like, at, that, at that point in 2002, it was like Godhead and Mushroomhead and Edema. And, but like, you have to remember as well, though, like the, the, that, was still, that was still exciting if you'd only just found out what heavy music was. And there was all the other heavy music that you hadn't listened to yet that had already come before it that felt like it was all still current because you'd go to a metal club and they'd play all of those songs so if you just discovered it you were like wow this is amazing so I guess what I'm really trying to say is it's I can see from the outside perspective what you said is absolutely true but like Merlin said like being in the trenches of it being like a new metal warrior if you want to call it that 
it was all just exciting stuff. You'd go to a metal club, you'd hear Laugh Serenade and The Sickness and Sepultura and Pantera. It was all like, wow. And nothing's all... changed. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, wow, this is a whole new world of stuff and it's all part of the same world. It didn't seem so segregated. Whereas obviously if you were being a bit more critical about it and you'd been in, in it for a few years, and especially if you're in the music industry as well, it would obviously seem like you'd be able to see the patterns a bit more. But for me, like as a teenager, I couldn't really see those patterns. I was just excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in, I'm kind of in the middle on this because I, I didn't have the kind of slight more helicopter view that Steve had having been into the scene a bit longer. But um, I definitely look back and can see that my music taste changed quite rapidly. I wasn't still, I mean, I was still listening to Chocolate for Starfish over and over again, but, you know, I actually remember when Biscuit put out Results May Vary, which I think is like 2003 or something, isn't it? It's like, so we're, we're getting our timelines a little mixed up. But yeah. I, remember I, remember the time they, I remember thinking it was rubbish. Yeah, and, but I, I, I also remember... I barely ever listened to it. I probably listened to it like twice. It's got some good songs on it, but I remember not actually caring that much that they had a new album out because Wes had left the band. And um, it just felt like there was something different. It felt like they just weren't a massive band that everyone was excited and people were going mental for anymore, to be honest. It felt like the scene had already moved on a little bit. Um, I feel like people are more excited about Limp Bizkit like now than they were in 2003. It's really yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Matt, to bring up that point about rock clubs, I can tell you from, uh, as a, like, I used to go to, um, uh, the, I used to go to the Nexus in Southampton back when I was in my sort of late teens, early 20s. And I can remember, you would know exactly what was going to get played and when it was going to yeah, get played. Yeah, obviously. And that was obviously, fun though. But there was a time, I remember going down about sort of in the sort of early 2002 and they played I Will Be Heard by Hatebreed and they played My Last Serenade. And it, both of them, the first week, cleared the dance floor completely. But with it, and we were all like, what the fuck is this? And we were, I remember hearing Last Serenade and being like, what is this? And I was like, this is, this is cool. What is this? This is really, this doesn't sound like, you know, the, every, like Limp Biscuit or Linkin Park. And I was like, what is it? Like, where have they got this from? Is this some like really old song that I've never heard before? And we were like, what is that song that goes, ah, 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 ah. As we kept going, what's that? The truth is absolution. What is that song? It's a little Britain sketch, mate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I think I just knew about it from like reading magazines, you know? And then when it was played in rock clubs, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's Kill Switch Engage. It, it was never really like out of place or anything. It definitely was like, I, I mean, it definitely was when in amongst everything that was getting played. Well, I think I was going to clubs with younger people than you then. <laughs> I don't think, I think like that was just, I mean, so... Once I found out it was Kill Switch, I think it was before the album even came out, somebody was playing it in the Nexus or um, it might have been as it was sort of breaking. And I didn't have MTV, so I didn't see it. But all of my mates were like, what's this song? It's really good. What is it? It's good. And then we sort of found out it was Kill Switch Engage. And I mean, for me, like, Alive With Just Breathing was, it was interesting, although I couldn't help being a little bit cynical about the, the media picking up and trying to run with metalcore, if you like when, I mean, I'd spent the last few years going, what, why aren't Botch on the front cover of Metal Hammer? Why aren't, you know... Oh, you were one of them. Around? Yeah, I was one of them. Yeah, yeah. And I had sort of heard Kill Switch Engage, and I was like, this is, you know, like I'd already got into stuff like Darkest Hour and Unearth and bands like that. And I was like, oh, but they're like the Roadrunner one that has been picked and is getting pushed to, quote unquote, kill new metal. 
And I was like, well, we'll see, won't we? Um, but then I, when I realised that that song, My Last Serenade, was the song that we've been hearing in this club, that we were like, this is fucking great. And it's not like any of the other guff that they've been playing. Like, you know, they play the new fucking Saliva song or something. And we're like, oh, go away. Like, I, I was like, hmm, like this has got a chance of actually breaking this stuff to a wider variety of people. Yeah, and 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 it and it did. It felt it felt it felt fresh and it felt different. And to someone like me, and you know, maybe others as well, like it. You know, I didn't know who the fuck botch, botch were. I didn't know who the fuck Earth Crisis were. No, um, me they unquestionably made that kind of music more palatable. But I don't think they did it. I don't think they lost any of the kind of intensity of what that music is fundamentally all about. Um, I mean. This album is just, <clears throat> I don't know if there's a better opening run, certainly from that generation of bands, let's say. The numbered days into self-revolution, into fixation on the darkness, into My Last Serenade, into Life to Lifeless. That is obscene. I mean, I could only count so many metal bands ever that I would genuinely put into that category of that run of songs. Um, For me, it starts with fixation on the darkness and ends at just barely breathing. That's the run I think is really good. It, really? You're discounting those first two tracks because Number Days is my favourite Killswitch song. Really? I like yep. both songs, but they just didn't stick as much as the other ones. Honestly, the most I've ever lost my shit at a Killswitch gig is when Jesse, uh, when they'd been back with Jesse for about a year and they did Shepherd's Bush Empire and they actually did n Numbered Days and Self Revolution, which they'd been long dropped from their sets. Um, and they didn't I'm not saying other. I didn't like them, just that I would shift it up one and miss out the first two. <laughs> I think just Barely Breathing is a great tune as well. They brought that back um, last year, didn't they, supporting uh, Parkway, and that was cool. Oh, but yeah, that fucking da 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 the time approaches. Like, that's one of the best metal opening gambits ever for me. Um, I love this album because I feel like it. they still retained a bit of their raw, um, I guess slightly more hardcore almost, edge uh that they kind of softened quite quickly after this um and if it sounds like i'm not gonna be just as effusive about the end of heartache i am believe me once we get to it um yeah, for me i agree with you it's like more raw and it feels really urgent and it feels like yeah fuck yeah we're a band and we're making our first like proper record and we're gonna give everything to it and then the next record feels more like mellow death influenced and more kind of melodic and expansive and like mm. More emo. Second, it feels more second album. Say it. <laughs> it's more like second album. -y. It's more just like, you know, we, we came out of the gates, we crushed it, and now we're kind of doing something that's like a follow up and kind of get, goes off into like more mellow death territory and like more melodic territory and stuff. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you, Mo, on that opening five. I think is uh, a really, really great run of songs for the opening of this album. Um, yeah, it's very good. It's a very, very good record. Um, I think it is genuinely one of the best metal albums ever and because because I, I mean that first five tracks is insane but um i don't really think it's, it's i mean it, i think i guess if you've got fixation on the darkness and my life serenade in the first few tracks obviously it's top heavy from that point of view because they're the big singles but even after that like temple from within um veed infra is just a fucking unbelievable song so heavy and that's obviously one that they actually took off the last album so i don't know if you can really count that as being owned by um owned by lava just breathing but i think the this like kind of tweet they made to it absolutely works 
Um, and then Rising Side, again, is one of my favourite, also one of my favourite Killswitch Engage songs. And they brought that back at Brixton a few years ago. I think it might have been when they, was it when they played with Bullet? I can't remember. But they brought that back and I was losing my shit and I was disappointed at how many people didn't seem to recognise it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, I feel like the, the appreciation of this album has had a much deserved renaissance because obviously Jesse's come back, they're playing more of these songs, people are talking about his contribution to the band again and he's kind of been reframed by some uh, as like the definitive kill switch front man, which isn't, I'm not saying that's true or not, I, you know, that's just kind of where the conversation's gone. Um, and I'm glad that this album, I feel like, is getting more dues now. I'm surprised um, you didn't mention the element of one just then in that other list of tracks that you liked. Like that sounds so windswept when it when it opens. Yeah, and, like, it's huge. Well, uh, that's it, though. I love every track. Every track on this album is a high eight minimum, and the mass majority of them are nines and tens for me. I think this album is well, yeah, it's flawless. It's a fucking flawless record. I love the raw edge of it. I love the kind of it. It. it I think for me, this is where absolute personal preference comes into it because what Jimmy, um, Jimmy then, what Jesse uh, sings about um, lyrically, I find more emotively interesting than what Howard sung about, to be honest. And that was a big thing he set down on this record. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think it's, like I said, got one of the most phenomenal opening run of tracks ever. Um, Still think it's the best. Even the production on this album is my favourite Killswitch album for production. I didn't think it sound. There's moments on this record that sound like savage, which I don't think you would necessarily say about a lot of other Killswitch stuff, as heavy as they do still go sometimes. Uh, and I like Jesse's voice on here as well because it's that kind of raw, again rawer thing to it. Um, and it's just fucking riffgasm, obviously as well. So yeah. I'll stop talking about this now so you can talk about it. I, just wanted to I was going to say, you mentioned the lyrics. If I could just do my lyric corner, I was quite interested by the fact that you mentioned the lyrics on this because I really like his lyrics too. They're really sort of PMA lyrics. But the other interesting thing about it is that Jesse's background and the fact that he was raised by a preacher. And these lyrics are really biblical. If you look at the phrasing and you look at the words he chooses and you look at a lot of the sentiments he's expressing, a lot of it you can sort of take about another person or you can take about yourself or you could take about God. And it's sort of that tension between self-determination and trusting in a higher power in a very positive way. And I think his personality and his background, his upbringing comes across so much in that in mm. perhaps a way it doesn't in um, the end of heartache with, with Howard. But um, also <laughs> having said all that, it just sounds really great sometimes when he just screams out, some of the lines like it's just got some amazing lines like my last Saturday just sounds amazing like who doesn't want to scream that out but yeah I thought it's kind of interesting that you would say that about the lyrics given that your stance on religion even though he's not like fully in you know it's a ten there's a tension there but yeah I, definitely a lot of religious sort of referencing there is yeah I mean to be honest that was something that came more to the fore in a couple of the later Jesse albums recently that I've kind of gone hmm this is sounding a little bit Christian happy clappy but um, when you, yeah, like, as you alluded to already, when you hear him talk about his beliefs, it comes from a more spiritual place and a kind of trust in uh, the world to kind of return to um, the light <laughs> in a not so literal sense. You can definitely sense. tell, though, that he's had that religious upbringing, having, yeah. you're into it, but like having been to some churches when I was younger, you can just really see that background that just comes out whether or not you'd want it to 
come out or not it's just kind of there in what it does and mm. find that just like super interesting mm. um i'd I still know. pick that over singing about girls so. <laughs> <laughs> i don't think he said like you know he wanted to make an effort to make these lyrics positive as well because a lot of metal bands had negative lyrics and that's you know if you if you're talking about new metal and metalcore or new metal and kill switch engage new metals or you know a lot of it is very sort of angsty and angry and then you've got this record coming along being like an absolute rager but being kind of like are you alive or just breathing you know are you actually like really living or are you just breathing yeah. like what are you going to do to sort of stand up for yourself like you've got this energy within you you can use it as your choice it's, it's very interesting to see that sort of difference in the approach between the genres definitely that's my lyric corner so l's lyric corner is closed <laughs> additional thoughts steve before we move on to what came uh, next which was also all right by the way yeah um yeah i think it's a very important record in the sort of gen genesis of like the heavy music scene definitely i think it's a really good record i mean to be honest with you i i don't have a strong emotional attachment to it because i mean i got it at the time and i liked it i thought this is a this is a good record but it was just you know i liked all of that stuff so for me personally it was just another band who weren't as good as poison the well do you know what i mean and there's a hell of a lot yeah. of them. So, we can't all be as cool as you, Steve. Well, you know, um, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, you know, I'd heard all of this done, I think, better by the original bands that did it. Um, but I still thought it was good. You know, I, I thought if, if somebody was going to, if somebody was going to take this stuff into the mainstream uh, or into the sort of the magazine world and it, that was going to be like a, a signpost for where music was going to go, you could do a lot worse than, mm. than, the, than this record. And yeah, I think it's good. I mean, yeah, I just, I think where they go next is where I started to probably take a little bit more interest in them. Well, let's go there then. So uh, almost precisely two years later, in fact, um, they released The End of Heartache. Obviously by now, Jesse has left the band. Um, you know, he was suffering with the kind of band life and touring um, it didn't quite work out for him there. And so after finishing off the, uh, the Alive or Just Breathing cycle uh, with the uh, new frontman Howard Jones, they were obviously under a lot of, um, you know, they're under a lot of pressure. This is one of the most hotly tipped young bands in the metal scene. You know, as Steve said, they were kind of heralded as the killers of new metal, which means they need to lead whatever's coming next. Um, I felt like they kind of got lumped in that even more with the new wave of American heavy metal thing that kind of started getting labeled around the mid 2000s. But at this point, um, they're in a position that a few metal bands have been in before. They've got a new singer. They need to bounce back with something big. And they create an album which is one of the, I think, even though it's their second album that got the major attention, I think this album in particular, The End of Heartache, is one of the single most important and influential metal albums of the last 20 years. Um, I mean, what they went and did with this record slightly changing the lyrical approach as we know you know howard was sing was singing about more things to do with romance and um you know there's other there's other wider reaching stuff there but i feel like they really struck a chord with the fast growing at that point emo scene and i feel like they very not cleverly because i don't know if they did it on purpose but they very successfully kind of had one foot in that kind of tasted chaos era um of music while having one foot in the metal scene as well um and they just became so much bigger for it and uh yeah this album is fucking unbelievable isn't it i mean when you're when you've got to kind of come out with a strong opening statement to remind everybody um who you are and where you're going next a bid farewell 
is an astonishing follow-up track to start off with, isn't it? Yeah, massive. I mean, I think what's, what's interesting about this record, like for me, is the previous one I think is really good, but it's kind of a version of something that I really, really like done to maybe not at the highest standard. Whereas this okay. is something which I don't really like or, or is like, it's kind of like the first Corn album. They're like fucking really massive and loads of people have gone on like what metalcore has become now off the back of this this record you think of all those i don't know crown the empire and bless the fall and all those fucking disgracefully bad bands um <laughs> that have basically tried to meld you know hardcore or quote unquote hardcore metal metallic hardcore riffs with this bleeding heart really emotional very very melodic stadium thing like that to me on paper i mean it's so common now that it doesn't sound like a weird thing to do but that to me on paper at the time seems like such a weird thing to try and do seems like mm. such a unique thing to try and do to take this really really super heavy you know like you say swedish death metal and hardcore influenced music meld that together but also turn it into something which really fit nicely on mtv and was relatable to a lot of people and just sounded massive in the same way as, I don't know, the Black Album sounds massive. Mm. Or when we're talking about Follow the Leader, that sounds massive. Mm. And um, hearing that, I was like, this made me understand and appreciate Kill Switch Engage a hell of a lot more because it was like, oh shit, they're really going for it. And if you're going to really go for it, you better write some fucking big songs. And they wrote, there's at least five or six songs in this record that I think are inhumanly big the sort of songs that like i don't know i'm trying to think of another one of those crap the metalcore bands around now we came as romans we came yeah let's go in we came as romans would sell their granny to be able to write a song as good as the rose of sharon Mm. do you know what i mean like they do anything but then they never ever ever will like it's so great yeah this set that this album um, it, it's a weird thing to say because again, it was it was the, essentially a follow up to a breakthrough. But this album absolutely set the template for what a whole generation of young metalcore bands would then try to imitate, and multiple generations. I mean, you talk to people like Barry Tomorrow, this is the album straight away. This is the fucking album they they reference, um, and it had such an immediate impact that it kind of that whole metalcore scene that kind of then bled into the kind of late 2000s, early 2010s, uh, kind of warped or metal scene. Um, it's just unbelievable what the impact this album had. But yeah, just in terms of song for songs, again, an astonishing run of tracks. A Bid Farewell, Take This Oath, When Darkness Falls, Rose of Sharon, um, there's an inhale instrumental after that, and then Breathe, Breathe Life, which is probably my favourite Howard era Killswitz song. And then the title track, The End of Heartache, which is, that's all right as well. <laughs> like, I love The End of Heartache so much. Astonishing. Kind of, actually, if we're talking about metal clubs and you were sort of talking about the emo thing, Steve, that's the one way you're sort of dancing and you're like getting like really into it in a really emo-y way and you're like mm-hmm. clutching your heart and you're like singing the lyrics and things. Whereas My Last Serenade is just more like, you know, beat down. It's, it's mad that My Last Serenade isn't the biggest chorus they've ever written. 
because that chorus is so huge and yet the end of heartache is even bigger it's just it's just mind-blowing how they managed to do something like that i don't know i don't know which chorus i prefer it's really hard because hearing you say that i'm like mm, i think i might prefer my last serenade well, Last Serenade is, I probably like that a bit more overall as a song, just because the riffs on it are so like, digga, 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 like, so fucking heavy. But as, as a kind of a big sing-along chorus, I feel like End of Heartache is like, it's even got the, ah, at the end, where he goes, slightly goes up an octave. He's like proper crooning stuff. Yeah, the key change. But yeah, you're sort Good of dancing people. and clutching your heart because it's broken and it's, it's a bit emo, isn't it? But that was such an important part of it, though. Honestly, I don't think it can be understated how much that slight pivot into emo-friendly, you know, even the, like the artwork, the merchandise they were selling, you know, holding a, a busted-up heart, but it's got spikes in it, so it's totally steel metal. Like, they really straddled those two worlds brilliantly to the point where they could, you know, they could do Taste of Chaos with Funeral for a Friend or someone like that but they could easily fit on like a Slayer tour if they wanted. And I think that's very, very, I don't know if many bands, if any other bands managed to do that so well in this time. Um, It's like I was saying earlier, it's exactly what I was saying earlier about Ohms and about White Pony is that the wider the sort of influences stretch, the more interesting the music is. I mean, again, I think Alive or Just Breathing is a great hardcore record with some metal bits in it as well and the songs are fucking excellent and jesse's performance on it is incredible but this for me it draws from kind of gothic stuff like you said emo bands stadium rock swedish death metal like there seems to be for me there's a there's a wider pool of stuff that goes into making this record and it just sort of elevates it um yeah i think this record's really really great like i it's it's really good. I mean, I know I'm maybe sort of spunking my own opinion on it too early as well, but I think this record is sort of front to back, untouchable. Breathe Life is well goth. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Literally my favourite Howard song, Breathe Life. Just the way it kicks straight in with it. And then it does that big fucking midsection. Great song. Let, let's not, for, let's not, no, not, not pretend like there's no massive, you know, when you get like World of Blaze and stuff on it, like it's not like there's no fucking savage riffs on this it's just uh, that to me that uh, song particularly screams slaughter of the soul like mm. when they do that i don't even know what you call it when you do that guitar thing and it sort of sounds like it reverses you can tell i pl- don't play the guitar but there's like a real thing in there. <laughs> yeah. a real thing in there that just sounds like so slaughter of the soul mm. yeah definitely i mean yeah it's true I, th- I think maybe the production on this album sounds slightly soft not i don't know if soft is quite the right word but it makes the wrists sound kind of like big and chunkier more than like kind of like almost like chainsawy like some of the stuff yeah. on uh Alive just breathing does but again it works it's like steve said it kind of goes into that stadium rock thing where it just sounds like it like these songs sound too big to be played in a club which is a mad thing to say about a metalcore album but um they literally do uh and um oh, it's just amazing are there are there many bands if any bands who have two such distinct albums. Um, it's probably partly because there are two different singers on it as well, but where fans are so divided and there's two such clear cut choices as to what their two best records are. I can't think of many out there where it's like, you either love this album the most or that album the most. Do you know what I mean? These are the albums if you like this band. There's, it's quite an unusual dynamic because even with someone like fucking... Metallica, you could be, you could say like, oh, I like Ride the Lightning more than Master of Puppets, but everyone knows that Master of Puppets is the album. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is just the definitive 
Metallica album. Whereas with Killswitch, I feel like there's real grounds for both these records to be put on that kind of top tier, number one on the pedestal kind of thing. Highway to Hell and Back in Black. Really yeah, yep. think of really. That's a really good shout. Again, different singers as well. So I guess you, it kind of presents a different vibe. I think that's a really good shout, actually. Uh, but then there are, you know, there are people who will tell you that Powerage and um, Fellows about to, probably not many people will tell you that Fellows about to rock is the best ACDC album. But you know what I mean? I think there are people who will go like, oh, you know, actually, Let There Be Rock is the best ACDC or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's the only one I could really think of off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, people will always pick their own albums. Like we said the other week, my favourite Marilyn Manson album is Hollywood, but I completely accept that Antichrist Superstar is the album. Do you know what I mean? It just is. Yeah. Uh, whereas with Killswitch, obviously we're gonna have we're gonna have our votes in a minute, and we're gonna we're gonna pick the album. But as a as a general debate, I think they're quite a unique band in having two that are just the records. You know, Trivium. They they're doing their best stuff right now. But Ascendancy is the album, isn't it? Yeah. When you're talking about the album that made them and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, you could just go on and on and on, really. Black well, Sabbath. I know what you guys are gonna say album. for the defining vote then. Yeah, I think we. Uh, I think I we think haven't hidden it very well, have we? We what? We haven't hidden it very well, have we? To be fair, no, we've been a bit obvious about it, but that's okay because they're both too fucking. I, I genuinely think these are two ten out of ten records in a row. And if if I was, you know, if I was picking my top twenty albums of all time in metal, there's a good chance that both these records would get in there. So I fucking love both these albums. Um, you know, uh, yeah, we've kind of like done what they've uh what they did next but i think um as daylight dies was a really good follow-up as well that's yeah, I like the biggest song. yeah um can i just pick up on what you said about the production before we go any further is I yeah, think yeah, yeah. the interesting thing about this as well both these records both produced by a member of the band now usually yeah. when you get a band producing themselves it can sometimes have pretty disastrous results but i know obviously adam is a proper producer but for him to produce both these records and to make them sound so sonically different from each other, um, he's he's a really good producer, isn't he? He's a fucking great producer, as as yeah, as we know from his uh, his numerous other things. Um, but yeah, End of Heartache definitely kind of defined the next the next the kind of era of the band from then on, didn't it? Really, because As Daylight Dies has a very similar vibe overall. Again, some absolutely fucking cracking songs on there. Um, and then, as we said, the second self-titled album. Not so great. Felt like it wasn't working. Disarm the Descent, banger. Um, and then Incarnate and Atonement um, have been, I think, richly received. But Disarm the Descent is definitely like the modern Jesse album that people point to. Um, but yeah, unquestionably, it's these two records that people hold most highly in Killswitch's back catalogue. Either one would be a deserving entry into the prestigious Metal Home Podcast Hall of Fame. Uh, but we can only pick one. Um, I think Steve and I have laid out our stalls pretty clearly. So just to be absolutely clear, Steve, uh, which album are you picking to go in? End of Heartache or Alive or Just Breathing? Um, I think Alive or Just Breathing is a really, really good album. Like I said, really good album. And it was very exciting at the time to see a band like that getting all the coverage that it got. But for me, the End of Heartache is something different. And I think it pointed in it moved further away from the underground roots and brought more to the table and achieved more. And to my ears sounds more unique. Um, 
and interesting the a record so i'm gonna go with that just fair, fair. uh yeah i'm uh I, I feel like i didn't quite give end of heartache enough enough credit for this because i spent so much time spunking on about love or just breathing but i think end of heartache is one of the greatest metal albums ever made again it's got a phenomenal hit rate um i think it was the perfect evolution for that band at the time i think it defined the generation of metal bands and is one of the most influential metal records of the last 20 years um it's a 10 out of 10 but i think alive or just breathing is just a slightly higher 10 out of 10 because i feel more emotionally attached to it i like the rawness of it i think it's a heavier album um very very slightly i should say like that's really splitting hairs um, and I just think that if I personally was picking, was kind of doing a head-to-head, track-to-track, I think it would definitely come out on top. Um, and even now, even though they've been playing way more of these songs recently, there's still more deep cuts from this album that I'd get more excited about playing live than deep cuts off of End of Heartache, I think. But only, only, only just. It's a 10 versus a 10.1. Um, so yeah, for me, it's alive or just breathing. Which means... The person that most loves doing lists and voting for stuff gets to pick the deciding vote. So which album are you going with, Elle? I think for me, it's really obvious. And I think if you know me, you know which one I'd pick. Um, I'm really surprised that you both haven't picked The End of Heartache because I thought the way the conversation was going, that was the one that you were fully in on. Um, So that's really interesting. And yeah, for me, the case for the end of Heartache is really, really good because they obviously expanded the sound a lot more. It got them out to more people. It had an influence on other bands that came before them. But literally like what Merlin said, Alive or Just Breathing has got so many songs in it that I just really feel connected to. And yeah, there's obviously a huge dose of nostalgia in there. But apart from that, I just love like the fact that it was the first record that really set out what they were doing it's got all those different thrashy metalcore melodic bits in it was like oh what's what's this this is an interesting thing this is a band doing something else that's not new metal and you can really feel that the band feel it when they went in to record it that they're already into it and loving it and you know like we talked about jesse's lyrics and what they're like and then you know you can't fuck with my last serenade so for all the good case for the end of heartache, I'm going to go with my heart and choose alive or just breathing. No way! I am absolutely stunned at that. Did you not I, know that that's what I was going to pick? No, part of the reason I wanted to make sure I, me and Steve went one after the other because I was absolutely convinced that you were going to do end of heartache. So I wanted to make sure we kept the suspense going. No, after... I, th- I thought that you would know even before we did this. I'd no. already decided what I was going to pick. Because I even said in the... I even said in the Slack chat to you the other day, I was like, uh, you're just a big emo. I know what you're going to put. Because I thought you were going to go into heartache. No. No way. Well, I am. Um, he was I shitting am. himself. He was worried that his favourite wasn't going to go away. You were like messaging me going, oh no, I really want to lie. Just Shut up. <laughs> I thought that you guys decided on the end of heartache because you can, you know, like you can see the progression, you can see the context. There's a real good case to be made for it. But if we're going to go with what I'd rather put on and listen to and what I'm most excited about, I have to pick a live or just breathing. I'm so, so surprised you, though that, that, you, that you went with that. So you thought I was going to pick End of Heartache and you thought, and I thought you were going to pick End of Heartache. <laughs> Neither of us yeah. did. That's really <laughs> what, weird. What did you think I was going to pick, by the way? I didn't know about you, but although oh. I did know a little bit because Merlin said that he thought that you and him had the same opinion 
So when you started talking about how much you love the end of heartache, I was like, well, Merle's going to pick that then. No, I knew, I knew that Steve was going to pick that and I wasn't. Oh, I like, thought you guys were going to pick the same thing. No, I've talked to Steve about this before. So I knew that he, and cause I remember I was surprised by what Steve picked because one of, one of these albums is clearly more attached to metallic hardcore and the other one is clearly more attached to like big fluffy metalcore. And so I thought Steve would go with a more kind of metallic raw hardcore album. Um, but yeah, we talked about it. So I knew he was going to do that. I'm genuinely surprised. I had you down as an absolute Howard Mark, end of heartache, emo, <laughs> fucking all of that. Like, <laughs> genuinely surprised. No, it's, it's just that run of songs like we talked about on that record. And the fact that when My Last Serenade came out, it was such a huge thing. And just like that forcefulness. And like I said, just the energy of them just being in there and just doing it. And that was how they felt and stuff. I just, for me, like, that's it. So I'm the emo now, am I? Yeah, yeah apparently. Well, turn up for the books. <laughs> Good, I'm genuinely surprised by this whole process. <laughs> I am as well. I had you so. For, I just kind of accepted it. Really, I was just like, well, I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I'm going to go all out with my case for love just breathing because I know it's not going to go in because I'm certain. Well, I know for a fact Steve's voting for the other one. I was actually just feeling sure a bit sad and I was literally going to say, even though the case for the end of heartache is really good and my vote doesn't make a difference, I'm going to cast it for a live or just breathing. <laughs> no way. Well, we have all surprised each other today, apart from Steve, predictable get. Uh, <laughs> yeah, being really emo. Yeah, what? Being really emo. Yeah, I think, I think we may have all surprised people today. So there you go then. That is it. Alive or Just Breathing by Killswitch Engage goes into the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame. I'm very happy about that, I have to say. I, by the way, for the record, I'm perfectly fine with that going in <laughs> it wasn't like i was a bit i was a bit narked that corn didn't go in but i'm totally all right with the live or just breathing going in cool good we're all still friends so there you go kill switch engage alive or just breathing the latest entry into the metal Hummer podcast hall of fame let us know over on the uh the readers group on facebook facebook.com slash metal hammer readers uh let us know uh, other bands you'd like us to do um, there's some big ones we haven't done yet. You know, we haven't done Metallica, we haven't done Black Sabbath, we haven't done Motorhead, but we have done Killswitch, um, we've done Corn. So uh, there's no rules. All good and great bands are welcome for uh, for nomination. Uh, let's take a couple of reader questions from that aforementioned Facebook page. Uh, Scott Satumple asks, "What's everyone reading, and would you have any reading recommendations?" Uh, I think have we not done this before um definitely everybody loves our town by mark yarm is my favorite book ever which is about the grunge scene uh, and it pretty much interviews every single person involved with the grunge scene uh, i've got that book steve have you read it mm-hmm. it's good isn't it yeah i enjoyed it i like those oral history type books where you just get like tons of people talking about stuff yeah you actually get to hear it from them you know because some music books can be kind of terrible because Mm. it's someone just talking about something they don't really know about and kind of like making up stuff about what it was like and when you get actual people just talking about it i much prefer that yeah that's really good that's probably that's so much better than all the other books that that's the only one i'm going to recommend there you go what about you al reading anything interesting at the moment yeah all mine are a bit serious um, I'm reading at the moment. I'm reading a book called *The Nanny State Made Me* by Stuart McConey, who's obviously a broadcaster and has a show on Six Music, and um, you know, he's a pretty famous mainstream music guru. Uh, but it's all about how it's a, quite a personal book, and it mixes journalism and polemical writing, I guess. And it sort of talks about how he's from 
the north and grew up at a time where the government provided a fair amount for you so you could it was easy to get benefits and you had a good local pool and a good local library and all that kind of stuff and like good local hospitals and then he's sort of talking about how privatization came in um, and made it difficult for people so you know he's on the side of the nanny state here and is arguing that actually there's all these amazing benefits that we had in the UK that we don't have anymore but the interesting thing is that he goes to a lot of these places like the first NHS hospital and talks to the staff there and he goes to like towns that people have said like haven't got anything going on and kind of finds out like what the situation is there and so it's sort of like this little journey where he's mixing his previous history with stuff happening now so um, I did say it was quite serious and I guess it is but he writes in a really funny and engaging way so there's lots of like funny little stories in there and things that are really interesting and entertaining and just like people's stories it's a real like people book it's not about kind of um social theory or anything it's about people's lives and stuff and like all the interesting little things that have happened so even if you're not kind of into that stuff i'd really recommend it because it's just a really cool book to read so that's the nanny state made me by stuart mcconey and then i've got on my list to read i got a ton of books for my birthday which is cool i've got norwegian wood by haruki murakami the japanese writer to read i've never read any of his stuff but it's really famous so that's going to be good and I've got a book called White Fragility to read as well by Robin D'Angelo. I've basically got a pile of like 20 books and these are the top three. So right. I need to take a week off to read. Yeah, I've, I've got, uh, I've been reading a few, I'm trying to read a few things at once, which means I'm getting through everything slowly, but um, I'm reading uh, one of the books that has kind of been very highly recommended in, uh, in like the Black Lives Matter movement, which is Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo Lodge. Um, I think a lot of people have picked that up because I, I think it went to number one in the UK book chart. So there's obviously a lot of people looking to educate themselves as I am. She's um, the first black author that went to the top of the charts as well. Yeah, which blew my fucking mind when, that, when that stat came out. I was like, re- at, fuck me, really? Yeah, like, man, unbelievable. Either. Unbelievable. Wow, yeah. I mean, that's mad. Um, yeah, absolutely crazy, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm uh, getting through that now. And, it, and you know, it is, it, is, it is really good. There's, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of stuff about things like Britain's role in the slave trade that I wasn't quite as familiar with as I thought I was. And uh, yeah, that's, it's, an, it's a really um, eye-opening book for sure. So I do recommend it for people that are looking to read a bit more uh, about the current situation and, and why we're at this point. Um, I'm also uh, on a far less educational route. I'm currently making my way through another edition of The Boys, the comic book, uh, which is my favourite comic ever. Uh, I smashed the first eight volumes very, very quickly and then I kind of paced myself. So I decided to finally pick up a new one. Um, some people listening might have seen the um, the series based on it on Amazon Prime, which is good. But I'd actually say the tone and characterization of the characters in the comic is quite different. So I definitely recommend that. Um, and I'm finally starting to try and make some proper indents into Stephen King's stuff. So I picked up it, but it's about 80,000 pages long. Uh, so I'm not got properly into that yet, but that's one of my projects to properly go in on that at some point. It's a tough one. I've got a book called The Cat in the City as well, which I got for my birthday and haven't read yet. And it's about a cat that goes around Tokyo. So I'm quite excited about that. Yeah. On his own? Huh? On his own? I don't really know. I've just like read the back cover. It's all about Tokyo and like different things happening in Tokyo and a cat like goes around them and like finds things out. I love how this is a fictional book and Steve's genuinely concerned about the cat being (laughs) on its own. I've just flicked through it and it's a novel, but there's a bit in it that's also. The cat like, didn't actually write this book, Steve. 
No, no, I know. There's a bit that's like a graphic novel too, which looks kind of cool, just like stuck in the middle. I was just intrigued how did you, because that cat went to Norwich, didn't he? And he got on the train and he came back. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the cat went from London to Norwich? <laughs> what, in the news? Yeah, in real yeah. life. I thought Paul And he sat on the train and then he got, it got to Norwich and they threw everyone off and he sort of got out for a bit. And then he somehow got back on the right train and he was, and people took photos of him and they sort of pieced it all together that this cat had just wandered out of his house one day, wandered onto the train station, got on a train, <laughs> gone to Norwich for the day and then come back. And now he's releasing his memoirs. <laughs> um, yeah, good reading recommendations right across the board there, I think. Um, this is an interesting one from Bryce Jones. Which band is the least successful, in brackets, album sales, that you have featured on the cover of Metal Hammer. Watone, all day. Watone has to be. I don't know, is it? Of course it is. Well, we've had... Uh, have they been on the cover, like a cover of their own? I don't Watain, think I remember yeah. About, uh, about, I would say about six years ago, something like that, we had Watain. I remember them there. being on Terrorizer. I don't remember them being on Metal Hammer. Yeah, it was a big fold-out cover with That's fire 12. on it. I think that was um, 12. I mean, this is, all, this is all relative, isn't it? Because... Obviously, no bands are selling what they were selling 20 years ago. But the, the first band that came to mind for me, and I talk to our old boss and former Metal Hammer editor, Alexander Milas, about this all the time, is Death Stars. <laughs> because the I would wager that... Destroy. Huh? B is for Destroy. Oh, my Blitzkrieg, boom. Weird band. Um, yeah, we had Death, Death Stars on the cover, which, you know, they were, they were almost a thing at one point, And it was in an era where we could still kind of take risks and put new bands on the cover more often and we went with that one but in hindsight it is it is proper weird <laughs> code orange are listening to this like you put fucking death stars <laughs> and what on the cover well we wanted code orange on the cover earlier in the year but it just didn't quite work out because their release weren't wasn't ready yet so don't worry be glorious they want to be on the front cover every month <laughs> yeah, they literally do. Jamie yeah. messaged me literally a few weeks ago, being like, "Where's that fucking cover?" I was like, "All right, all right, we'll do our best, Jamie." But um, mate, surely even when because Death Stars would have been big enough to play like the Forum or something. I think I do remember when there was that little period where that big. Maybe not the for, maybe not the Forum, but at least let me have a quick look. Continue this train of thought. Well, I'm pretty sure I saw them at a venue in Manchester that held about two hundred people. But that might have been as they're on the way down. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's still bigger than Watain, I reckon. I, I feel like I saw them with the Defiled. Did they tour together at one point? I'm sure they did. Probably. Yeah. Right, Death Stars have played... Um, uh, they, they've done like the Islington Academy a couple of times. That looks about as big as it's got. Okay. Death Stars. Okay. That's like a couple... That's not. That's what, like one and a half thousand or something? Um, Back in but, 2006, they definitely would have sold more actual physical records. Yeah, in Europe, yeah. I mean, I feel like Watain probably have sold quite a lot of records because they're a big band and, um, you know, they're a big band within a fan base that will buy records, basically. But yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, Watain's a good shout. Um, I mean, you know, we've had Merck here on the cover this year. She's obviously a, a big artist and does really, really well, but, you know, she's not shifting uh, fucking Iron Maiden numbers. Um, it will be pretty much any time we put a underground slash new band on the cover. Like it'll be one of them. Mm. Um, yeah, I was sort of thinking back to like the night when I first started buying Hammer and stuff. And if there's anyone who's not, there's a lot of people who aren't big now, like Feeder, A, mm. Silverchair, 
But then I suspect if Silverchair reform now, they they'd still comfortably be bigger than. I still love Silverchair. <laughs> I love Silverchair so much. Yeah, yeah, they were great. Really um, great. Yeah, and, and thinking about it as well, I just mentioned Merck here, but I think she probably does massively outsell what Death Stars. But Death Stars did sell as well back in. Oh, I don't know. We don't have direct access to their sales data at this moment in time. To be <laughs> I honest, would, I would, I'm just going to say I would be stunned if it wasn't Watain. Yeah, I think Merck is maybe quite a good shout, although she's done. Yeah, I, I would. Be it's, it's almost a slightly different. It's a, you can't really compare certain things because mm. bands are different. You know where the streaming numbers come into it and all that kind of shit like Merck has got huge numbers on Spotify for someone who does that kind of music um, yeah but um, yeah Watain yeah Watain might be a good shot but you know that's that's Watain they don't want to sell 50 million records no it's not black metal so yeah um, I, mean, I wasn't saying that like they shouldn't have been on the cover or anything because they were that was a brave old thing to do back then them and Ghost <laughs> in the same year Ghost on the first record as well well, yeah, they really yeah, yeah. at all. So, yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, this is what it's all about. You can't if if you uh, make a decision to put a band on the cover that aren't shifting insane amounts of album sales, you're not just doing it um, based off that. You're doing it because you have confidence in the band to maybe go somewhere and do that after that, or you know that they've got um, the kind of following that will that will pick your magazine up. Um, we've talked about that a lot before. I'm sure we'll talk about it again it's a it's a very uh, unique process now in terms of how we can how we can get young bands on the cover but it's it's something we're still going to be doing uh, every possible opportunity so watch this space um i don't know why i read all the questions i'm just greedy but fuck it we're here now on, uh, Might as well. ben wilmot uh, says in an issue just gone by you published a review of appetite for destruction when it came out where the reviewer shout out dave ling we love you uh, essentially trashed it and thought it was nothing special uh, this is true. Dave Ling, legendary Metal Hammer writer, uh, gave Appetite for Destruction a bit of a kicking. And when we asked him about it, to be fair to him, he kind of, you know, he kind of stopped by it and said, that's what I thought at the time. And that's what I reviewed. Um, but Ben goes on to ask, whilst opinions are subjective, what review of a band or album do you look back at and go, geez, I got that one wrong? Uh, I, I gave the new Mushroom Ed album four in the latest issue. I wish I'd given it one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know some people on our Facebook page that would be livid if you had. I know. And that's why I want to change it. Because they're like, oh, this is bullshit. This is just your opinion. It's like, no, my opinion is that it's worse. And I've, I've tried to be as objective as possible and giving it a four because it's literally fucking rubbish. Um, <laughs> Poor old Mushroom Head. <laughs> just, imagine sticking up for Mushroom Head in 2020. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Why'd you go on the internet to fight the good fight for mushroom bed? Madness. Um, no, serious answer. Every band is someone's favourite band. Remember that. Not mushroom bed. There's got to be people out there. Well, I mean, you've literally been proven wrong on mushroom head this week, Steve. So, what? But I've been proven wrong about what? How good they are? No, that they're not someone's favourite band. They clearly are because people have rushed into their. No, those, those people, they're not their favourite band. Fa- those people's favourite band is Motor Grater. But yeah, okay, fair enough. Somebody's favourite band might be Mushroom Head. I mean, what kind of life is that? I don't know. Uh, but um, leave Mushroom Head alone. <laughs> okay. Um, I actually like Black. I mean, I don't know. Black Futures is one. Of, I think the Black Futures album's really good, and I gave it a fairly like, are there better live review when I reviewed it on my other podcast. 
right out podcast. You don't mind me doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was probably a bit harsh on that, but in the Mac, um, I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head. Come back to me. No, do it now. No, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's probably some bands. I, I think there's probably some younger bands that I got really excited about that um, maybe I kind of said this is going to be or, I don't know I'm sure there's the, the problem is is that I haven't actually reviewed that much in the last five years or so because um, that's just not one of the main things I do now Too in important. Magazine. Yeah. Too so busy. I'm just trying to think back I'm sure there's albums or ba- or young bands that I got really fucking overexcited about and maybe I kind of really bigged it up and then I realised a few years later I didn't really actually go back to that album as much as I thought I might or something like that. I can't think of any examples now, which is really you, huh? went for, you went mad for Crossfade. I mean, I think they actually were quite good at the time, though, weren't they? Yeah, that first, that the the uh, Zeon EP, I still think is fucking brilliant, and I still think they're one of the best live bands in metal. But um, I'm not overly fussed with a lot of the stuff they've done since. But I've not reviewed any of that. So, I mean, you know, I look back at my review of Sepaternal by Bring Me the Horizon, which I still think is a, is going to be seen as a classic album, and I think it's been hugely influential in terms of like the production, the way a lot of young bands have been writing songs. But I kind of feel like they swerve so dramatically away from metal overall that I basically said, this is the sign of the scene's new innovators and metal is going to follow this now. And it didn't because they just fucked it all off. or well, messed it off. And so that review doesn't look quite so good in hindsight because it feels very of its time because... I don't know. Sometimes I think it's not that I uh, was too nice about it because it's a fucking fantastic, fantastic album. But um, I think I wish there's a part of me that wishes Bring Me had justified my review by going and carrying on like influencing metal bands. To give you some credit, though, I think we kind of all thought that, didn't we? Really? I mean, it, yeah. I think we all thought that. So, and, and also, it has, like you said, it has been really influential. It's just not been. <sighs> I mean, it's, unfo- it's, it's been influential in quite a bad way, I think, really, because a lot of people have tried and desperately failed to recapture that. And it's just not really commercially kicked on. Um, no one else has really done that. And follow- Bring Me are the only band who do that, who are a sort of significant band. So if any of those bands could have taken Sempaternal and done something with it, then maybe things would have been different, but none of them could. And Bring Me kind of, like you rightly say, sort of drop that straight away now we couldn't really have seen that coming but i don't think it's that i don't think it really seemed because we everybody thought it at the time pretty much everyone thought that right yeah i think, I think so but i think even like the later albums have been really influential like they've not influenced the metal scene as in metal metal as much but like you said steve there are other bands that have maybe taken aspects on and maybe not successfully um but definitely sort of bringing the electronic aspects into metal and it basically what they did on some paternal was like an evolution of new metal in some way mm. and then what they've done since is sort of take some of those electronic aspects and some of them more like um this century aspects and like push them harder at the expense of metal but you get bands like baby metal who reference all different kinds of music and you know the first track on metal galaxy was like oh i can't remember what they say now but they say something about this is future metal or something and it's got like a bring me 
like style sample in it like they they still have been really influential it's just kind of um almost diffused you know it's not been yeah. like an influential metal movement it's been like a sort of modern production i mean in a way. there's that track on the new asking alexandria album where it's like oh you listen to you listen to ammo then yeah you know, it's proper like you, that's like an immediately obvious thing and there's someone else as well uh yeah baby metal's another one there's another band where i was listening to the other day and i was like yeah we get it oh uh the amity affliction um, oh, yeah. you know they've so clearly gone oh electronics now you know we're, and obviously bring me on the first band to do that but they did it in a way that felt more in line with where a lot of the electronic scene was at the time and now you can hear a lot of bands kind of following them through that so yeah i guess they are maybe it's i was prophetic been, it just played but, out slightly differently to what you expected you know instead of playing out in the metal scene it's played out kind of slightly elsewhere yeah. or hope. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was gonna say i think obviously we couldn't have seen what gojira would have done what Parkway Drive would have done, like those would be massive things. Who would have known that Ghost were going to go on and become this massive sort of arena band? And then you've got all the kind of cool underground stuff like, you know, sorry to mention them again, but Code Orange and Power Trip and Venom Prison. And that in sort of 2013, you couldn't ever remember, you couldn't ever really imagine that a, a, death, a British death metal band like Venom Prison would be opening for Trivium. Uh, mm. Academy, and mm. yet within sort of three years, everything like and all Die Art is Murder would be opening for Parkway at mm. Brixton Academy, or or Parkway would be booked to do Wembley Arena. Like you just didn't really expect those things to happen. You sort mm. of looked at Bring Me and went, "Oh, everyone will sort of follow this, and we'll have a big load of bands doing that kind of thing." And it's just not really happened. And I think it's probably a good thing that that didn't happen. To be fair, yeah, I think that's fair. The what's so interesting now is that you know we often talk about like oh when's the next scene going to come from where's the next kind of recognizable sound based or even geographically based like movement going to come from um and what's happening is actually it's just loads of fucking brilliant bands that many of them sound different to each other i mean i know hardcore's having a really great moment again right now but the fact that you can stick i mean that trivium bill is it really power trip venom prison and code orange on one bill vastly different bands but all come from the same kind of spiritual place so it just works it just fucking works and that's that's what's most exciting about where metal's at at the moment is you know we've just been talking about ohms there's so many bands you could put that band on bands with now based off that album and that's so exciting um uh and yeah subaternal's still fucking great so i don't regret the uh the kind of tone of the review but um it would be nice if they'd gone where many of us thought they would but yeah as steve said maybe it's for the best so that's how life works, isn't it? Right. Let's fucking call oh, it quits there, shall we? What about Eleanor? What about your... No one cares what I have to say. Oh, sorry, Al. Because you, <laughs> you said so much about um, Sempaterno. I forgot that that wasn't your point for a second. You know what? I actually can't think of one. And it's a cop-out, but I can't think of one where I've gone and really looked back and thought I thought that was wrong. But I think mostly I look back and go, oh, I, that was really bad writing. Like, I haven't looked it up, but I think there's like... I think I'm referenced on the Wikipedia page for Machine Head's Blackening, and I say something like, "What? No way!" I say something like, "An oh old." God. I say something like, "There's an old school thrash attack or something." I don't know. It's just like a really random line instead of sort of talking about Machine Head and the context and things. I think I just, I think I, I don't even know what the review said, but there's something random that is just quoted on that page, and I'm like, I don't even know where that came from. So it's probably not a good idea to look back at old reviews because I'll probably just oh find yeah, there you are. something that's completely random. Rock Sound Magazine reviewer, fellow Rock Sound alumni with me. Um, 
Rockstar Magazine reviewer Eleanor Goodman awarded the album 9 out of 10. So you got fucking smashed Yeah, it was that. an amazing album. I loved it. Praising the first two minutes of the opening song, clenching the fist of descent as an old school thrash attack. I mean, I think the only thing you've done bad there is that you spelled old school with a K to look cool. <laughs> Ew. Oh, no. Yeah, that was... I was like, I don't see the problem. I now see the problem. <laughs> Oh, cool. Thanks, internet. But yeah, I don't know. I don't really tend, maybe it's bad and maybe it's because I've got a terrible memory, but I don't really tend to look back at that stuff too much. Just kind of look forward. Yeah. It is always a fascinating read to open up a copy of Metal Hammer from any point in across the decades and look at what people are writing about, what people are excited about, the mix of bands in the magazine. It's always evolving. It's always changing. And, uh, you know, that's what makes it so exciting. Um, and we will be back with another Metal Hammer podcast next week. It's one of the longest ever. So thanks for joining us. Um, no, let me do my Crow update. Someone on the Metal Hammer readers page. Oh, go on then. Yeah, go on. So the Crow that I was talking about, I've got a Crow in the garden. And it comes to drink from the overflow pipe out the side of the house. And it's really clever and it can get all the water out the pipe. And it's still coming around. And it was my birthday last week. And the Crow flew over from the Crowverflow pipe towards the trees and like loud a crow noise and i think it was wishing me happy birthday so somebody asked on the readers page for an update and that's i can tell it. you unconditionally it was not it was <laughs> so yeah it was, that was really nice thing on my birthday to get wished a happy birthday by my crow Aww. friend yeah i was crow friend it's been yeah. a peak time for l uh l's been banging on about mermaid ice cream on the metal hammer facebook group as well so you can go chat to her about that if you want if you if you're if you're if you're missing us straight after this podcast come chat to us about ice cream and crows and whatever else is the fuck's going on um stay safe out there everybody uh be good to each other stay metal and we will see you next week cheers everyone goodbye